Welcome to the God Solution Show, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Jason Hedgecock. And we are excited that you're listening to the show this morning. This morning, we're going to be interviewing Walt Heyer, the maverick transgender, talking about how Christ rescued him from that background. Parents, you might want to shield your kids from some of what we talk about today. You can determine whether or not they're ready to hear this. I know for a lot of youth, this is definitely on the cutting edge and people are hearing about it. So parents, this is your chance. If you don't want your kids hearing this, you can move them out. But we're going to get right into the interview and talk to Walt Heyer about a few different things, including his past and this issue. Walt Heyer, welcome to the God Solution Show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Hey, we are so glad that you're here and glad to be talking to you. So anyway, let's just start with your story. When did you first begin feeling different about your gender? Well, it started when I was about four or five years old when my grandmother was uh, beginning to cross-dress me when she would have me for the weekend uh, as a her babysitting me uh, when my parents were away. And so it was just my grandmother and myself. And she somehow uh, enjoyed cross-dressing me and, and then telling me how good I looked as a little girl, four or five-year-old girl. Wow. How did you respond to that gender confusion? Well, at that time, you know, when you're that young, you don't have a perspective of what is confusion. You know, everything at that age is seems right, especially when an, an adult is, uh, you know, sort of appreciating who you are. You've got, you're not in conflict. Uh, she was enjoying it. So uh, in my mind, everything was okay, and it should have been that way. <clears throat> so it takes years to understand that there was a conflict going on with my gender. Now, that conflict did develop over time, and kind of how did that come to a head? Well, it came to a head once that seed was planted, and, and she cross-dressed me as, and did the babysitting for over two years. So the seed was planted, it was watered, nurtured, and encouraged. And over a period of time, uh, it never went away. It, it just kind of kept festering and growing in there, and I kept wondering about my gender, and, and uh, the older I got, the more confused I got about what had happened. There was no explanation uh, for it. So uh, as I grew into my teens, I was still struggling with that uh, episodes that happened uh, with my grandmother and wondering about my gender. I wasn't talking to anybody about it. This was uh, many, many years ago. It was in the mid-40s. Uh, mid to late 1940s. So it was not a topic like it is today, but it was sure happening to me. So I kept it quiet, and uh, I ended up uh, graduating from school and going on to uh, college and still struggled every single day of my life with issues about my gender. And, uh, and then in my early 20s, I, I got married and had two children, and began working in the aerospace industry. At the time, I was working on the Apollo space missions and uh, had a really good career, but still struggling with my gender identity. So uh, what we see with this issue is that it doesn't really go away easily once the seed is planted and nurtured and encouraged. So... Well, I was married and two kids, great career, 
continued to struggle even more the older I got, the greater the struggle seemed to be because I didn't have any answers. And so by the time I hit my 30s, I was struggling greatly and uh, began to hear about stories about people changing genders and wondered if that's what I needed to do. And uh, by the time I was uh, 40 years old, I went uh, to, now I'd been married um, for about 15 years by then. And so um, I went to what they call a gender specialist who said that I was suffering from uh, gender identity disorder or gender dysphoria and that the solution for me was to undergo gender reassignment surgery. So um, I was skeptical, to be honest with you, and, and thought, Gee, that's pretty radical, you know, uh, but it had been troubling me, and I did have a desire to change gender, so it fit with what he was saying, but I was married, and I had a good job, and it just seemed kind of strange. So I waited two more years and struggled during that time and went back to him again two years later. By this time, it was 1983, early 1983, and, and he said, yeah, he said, you, you've been suffering from gender dysphoria all your life, and the only way to resolve it is through gender reassignment surgery. So um, he wrote me a letter. I was approved for the surgery and went in April of 1983 for gender reassignment surgery after I had completed uh, my divorce with my wife and and had told uh, the family that what I was doing, and of course, uh, that caused tremendous rift, as you can imagine. And for my daughter and my son, it was a real betrayal about a father completely changing genders. Like, then now they're confused. And so here I was, uh, selfishly going off, doing what I felt I needed to do um, to get right with myself. And so the surgery was performed, and after the surgery, I notified the company. I was working for a very large uh, automobile company, and I was an executive with the company. They terminated my employment. And within several months after the surgery, I was out of work, unable to get a job, and struggling uh, really to survive financially. And... Uh, by this time, I was starting to struggle with alcoholism and ended up going to AA meetings, uh, trying to restore my life uh, through recovery with alcohol. And so here we are. Uh, you know, I'm in my, um, I'm 42 years old. And um, actually, by this time, I'm 43 and attending meetings. And I started going to a psychologist at Fuller Seminary. Uh, and asking for help uh, with these issues. And he could see that I was now struggling with uh, suicide ideation. I really wanted to end my life. And uh, he got me in touch with a pastor friend of his who allowed me to uh, live in his home with his family, his two children, so that I wouldn't commit suicide. And this family put the loving arms of Christ around me and began to um, not try to change me, but tried to listen to me and, and encourage me and nurture me. Um, 
I was still struggling with alcoholism, and I ended up going into a recovery home by then. During my time in the recovery home, though, it was interesting. I started going to a church, and the pastor uh, at the church I'd met before I even started attending church, and I asked him, because by this time I'm Laura Jensen. I'm, I'm living as a female. My whole life has uh, been changed and turned upside down. I'm actually attending a women's recovery home in Burlingame, California. Wow. And so um, here I was going to church and meeting the pastor, and I asked the pastor, I said, are you going to try to change me back? And he says, no, my job is to love you. It's God's job to change you. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that began the transformation. Amen. Hey, Walt, thank you so much for your honesty and vulnerability in this. This is a, this is a tough issue for us. Um, can you speak a little bit about the surgery itself? Does that actually change a person's gender? No, you know, it's all cosmetic. Uh, nobody, you, you can't biologically change somebody's gender. You can do a lot of cosmetic surgeries and sh- certainly make it look like you change their gender. But biologically, you know, the bones of a man and woman are very different. The entire chemistry of a man and woman are different. So the only thing you can really do is cosmetically make it appear as though a gender change was made uh, so that the individual feels comfortable looking like they changed, but they really didn't change their gender. So I've talked with students that have undergone this surgery on the campus. I do college ministry, and they are pretty adamant. I've not talked to one yet that's come back, and most of the ones I've talked to are pretty viscerously against Christianity, but the ones I've talked to are very adamant that they really have changed, that this is their new identity, and uh, my background, my undergraduate degree was in chemistry, so I approach this with kind of a scientific perspective. I don't know how to communicate this to them in a loving way, and I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but it's obvious that every cell in their body has the DNA they are born with, their bone structure, all these things are whatever gender they are born with. How can we reach right. out to these people? Is it is it just an argument of facts? I mean, obviously there's something deeper going on here, correct? Right. Well, what we know is that people who suffer with gender identity disorder are suffering from a comorbid, one or two or more comorbid disorders. Now, those disorders are disorders of personality. They're schizophrenic. They have dissociative disorders, they have separation anxiety, there are such a host of issues that are part of the gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria by itself really is nothing but a yellow flag to signal there's something deeper going on. And certainly one of the issues is delusion. Uh, It's very delusional to think that you've actually changed genders. And so the people are struggling definitely with very serious psychological and psychiatric disorders that have not yet even been diagnosed and therefore they haven't been treated. So they're of the belief that they've changed genders when reality is that they have not. So what about the the body identity integrity disorder? Is that similar to what we're talking about here? Well, they all kind of fit into the same category, but I think what's important and what I've found out in the years that I've been studying this is once we 
sit down with an individual who's struggling with gender identity disorder, if we can sit down and find out what was the trigger mechanism in their early childhood, like I said earlier, for me it was my grandmother cross-dressing me. Sometimes it's a, a death in the family. Sometimes it's a, a divorce. Sometimes it's an absentee parent. Sometimes it's an alcoholic parent or a drug-addicted parent. Um, there is such a huge range of issues that trigger the onset of not wanting to be who you are so that you can become someone who you're not. And that's really the key. And, and I'll repeat that. This, the onset of psychological disorder is because you don't want to be who you are so that you can become someone who you're not. So you're trying to escape, and that's why we call it the dissociative disorder. It can be personality. It can be schizophrenia. It can be bipolar disorder. There are so many different disorders that we call comorbid disorders that are linked to our identity uh, and gender identity core. Now, Jason just mentioned this body identity integrity disorder, and we won't ask you more about that, but for the audience, in case you were wondering what Jason was talking about, there's a similar disorder where people are kind of convinced that certain appendages, certain arms, certain parts of their body should not be there and that they'd be happier without an arm, say, or without a finger or without a leg, and they stage accidents to lose a limb in order to, um, you know, be happier with themselves. But it's the same kind of idea here. It's a disorder where they are not happy with themselves the way they were made, and they're trying to find a solution, something that would help them finally be okay with themselves. Now, when I think about this, the question that comes to my mind is, is this a medical issue or is this a psychological issue? You kind of hinted at that, and you kind of hinted at the triggers, but what's going on inside the, the brain with somebody that feels this well, way? Well, we know from if uh, I have posted many studies on my blog at waldhire.com, uh, there are no uh, proven, documented, objective studies that show any difference in the brain of a transgender or the other person. There is, there is no evidence that transgenders are different than anybody else. So it is a psychological disorder, different in that there is nothing chemically going on in that area. Uh, now, the only exception is, and this often gets confused, is intersex individuals are not transgender. They are totally different than transgenders. Intersex individuals, they can actually identify a medical issue that is separate and apart from being transgender. So transgenders do not show any medical differences in their chemistry than a standard run-of-the-mill male or female. So we know that it's psychological in its origin. Can you explain what you meant as far as intersex goes, just for those that that would be un well, unsure? In intersex, uh, they are identified as having oftentimes undeveloped genitalia or multiple genitalia, or there is actually a way to identify uh, more than one genetic issue about their gender, uh, and that is a testable, objectable objective issue. In transgenders, that does not exist. All right. So this is 
so far been an interesting conversation. If you're just tuning in, we're interviewing Walt Heyer, who used to be a transgender. He changed from a male to a female and then back to male again. I guess he didn't really change as he's discussed here on the show because you're kind of stuck with the gender that you're born with, the DNA that you're born with, but he's very graciously communicated his story with us. And we're talking a little bit about how this works in society today because a lot of different people are really struggling with some of these issues. What do you think, Walt, about the uh, the Bruce Caitlyn Jenner story that's so popular in the news now? Well, I, I think what we need to do is kind of step back and, and look at some some factual information about the harm that he could be causing because he's getting such a wide-ranging public view and people are probably encouraged to change genders when they're not getting properly diagnosed about their comorbid disorders. And keep in mind, the transgender population is known factually to attempt suicide at a rate above 40% before and after undergoing a change of gender. That can be a surgical change of gender or just an identity change of gender. So you said before and after. So apparently, statistically, they are not finding the satisfaction that they're searching for. Is that correct? No, they're not. In fact, many of the people uh, remain traumatized and more discouraged after surgery than they were bef- uh, before they had the surgery. So the surgery, uh, while many of them uh, don't discover these things for years to come, I mean, I've had people write me uh, from five years after surgery, 12, 15, 18, 20. I had one write me a letter 30 years after surgery said they're still struggling, but they finally, after 30 years, came to admit it. Most people do not want to admit that they made such a huge mistake. So they're going to try to work it out. They're going to try to live through it. But sometimes the burden of doing that becomes so difficult that the only way out is to attempt suicide. And that's why we see 41% or more. And for the younger population, it's even a greater number than 41%. So, you know, and we don't know that we don't know all the people who go undergo surgery. Many of the people who are transgender actually haven't gone the full course of surgeries. So I think Bruce uh, Jenner, Caitlin uh, is actually doing much more harm than he is good. So what, what do you think is uh, our, our society's preoccupation with these issues? And, and what do you think the cause is? And, and what do you think it will be the results? Well, I think the, the cause is that we're not identifying the comorbid disorders that are triggering the desire to change gender. So if we had a good established medical community of psychiatric and psychological doctors who would dig in and diagnose and evaluate the comorbid disorders, they could prevent 80% of the surgeries. In fact, Dr. Charles Ellenfeld in 1979, who had worked for six years with transgenders at the Harry Benjamin Clinic himself, said that 80% of the people shouldn't be having the surgery because there is way too much unhappiness and too many suicides. And he himself went into psychiatry, switching from the medical side of things, going into psychiatry to try to help transgenders on the other side. 
interesting. This is, it seems like there's such an incredible mission field here, people that really need the hope that we have in Christ. So you've talked a little bit about the dangers of transgenderism and some of the statistics about suicide and things like that. Are there any other statistics or any other dangers that you'd like to communicate about? Well, I think there's always a danger when suicide uh, has such a high rate. So, uh, you know, anytime we look at a population of people who they're encouraging to change genders and we see such a high rate of suicide, listen, I would not be speaking out if the attempt suicide rate was equal with the national population of non-transgender population, which is uh, very small. It's under 3% or right around 3%. So you can see that it's more than 10 times the national average. So there's something wrong. That should tell anyone who has the ability to give reason to any situation that changing genders is not only dangerous, it can lead to suicides. So what about the people that would say they are committing suicide or contemplating it because of society's rejection of them? Is that a valid rebuttal? No, it's not. Actually, the the real issue is that the medical community uh, is just bent on changing genders and not in dealing with the psychiatric and psychological comorbid disorders that would actually prevent them from committing suicide. People who are happy with their lives do not attempt suicide. Only people who are distressed. And to blame society, to blame parents, to blame others is absolutely totally nonsense because a good, healthy person with a good, healthy psyche can endure any kind of oppression and come out the other side because they know that where they are in their life is where they want to be. But when they're they're going through a change like this and they're having doubts and they're struggling, certainly they're tipped toward suicide when they find that they're really not as happy as people have told them they're going to be. So what is the real solution to gender confusion then? Psych- proper evaluation, proper diagnosis, and proper treatment that does not include a change of gender. You mentioned a little bit about how Christ got a hold of you and how you got involved in this church in California. What is the hope that we have in Christ that we could be sharing with people that are struggling with this? There's two things that happen. Either you're defiant and say that, you know, uh, I'm going to live a transgender life in spite of Christ, or I'm willing to admit that my life is wrong, my life is broken, and I need Jesus Christ to redeem and restore it. So you're going to have the person who is resistant to Christ or the person who gets on his knees and begs for Christ's forgiveness and asks for Christ's redemption. Those people's lives will be redeemed and restored. The defiant ones will remain defiant and remain outside of his redemption and restoration. How has Christ redeemed your life since you went back to living as you were born, as a man? Well, the proof of it is that he has completely restored my life. I've been remarried now for 18 years. I have a website, sexchangeregret.com, that is the largest of its kind in the entire world. I reach over 180 countries around the world, and I will get over 340,000 people to the website this year. 
Uh, I get speaking engagements in Italy and in Australia and Canada and around the world where I'm able to speak out on this issue because there's a lot of people who do understand that this is a psychological and psychiatric issue. So I'm, I'm out there to try to help people understand if they come to that point in their life where they realize they've made a mistake and they have regret, that they can find their way back through the redemption and power of Jesus Christ if they're willing to fall on their knees and admit they were wrong and ask for forgiveness and seek redemption and restoration in Christ. Amen. Yeah, so Walt, what would you say to somebody who's struggling with their gender confusion that's listening to the show today? Well, you know, I've got to tell you, it's very hard to talk to those people because they really don't want to hear the message of redemption. They don't want to hear, and I was the same way. Remember, I was one of the people who said I was happy and pleased with my life for nearly eight years. So it, 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 there has to be that point where they come to you and ask for help. As long as they're outside of that uh, desire to admit that they were wrong and remain defiant in saying that they were right, it's very difficult to reach them. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of like trying to reach an alcoholic who's drunk. I mean, you can't talk to them. They're unwilling to listen, and uh, they believe that they're correct. They believe with all their heart they're correct. And until such time as they realize their life is broken, it's almost impossible to reach them. So how would you encourage Christians to take the initiative to engage people that struggle with gender confusion? Or how would you encourage Christians to help them in other ways? Well, I think it's important for us to sit down, uh, you know, at, at a coffee shop, with the people who are struggling and get to know their story, get to know who they are and begin to ask questions about how did this get started and, and get them to build a trust relationship with someone who's a good mentor, who is not going to be judgmental or not going to put them down, but listen for the clues about what happened in their life. And when, mm. when they begin to open up and begin to trust you, they'll begin to tell you about where they're hurting and when they begin to talk about how they're hurting, then you can talk about how Christ can redeem and restore them. Amen. Wow, Walt, we appreciate your time. Do you have any last thoughts for us? No, I, I just want to help all the people that I can uh, try to prevent them from an unnecessary gender change and certainly to try to curtail anybody from attempting suicide, realize that Christ is the answer, suicide is not. Amen to that. All right, so where can people find out more about you? Any sites or blogs or books that you'd like to share? Yeah, uh, sexchangeregret.com is my website. My book, Paper Genders. My other book, um, A Transgender's Faith, is a great book. It tells about how the church works through those issues. Uh, Paper Genders talks about the origin of how the whole thing got started, who they were, and how it came to be and how it's in our society today. There's other books there, but uh, the blog at walthire.com and the website sexchangeregret.com, that'll get them, uh, get them going. So those sites and books, again, are sexchangeregret.com and walthire.com. That's spelled W-A-L-T-H-E-Y-E-R.com. And the books are A Transgender's Faith and Paper Genders. I hope you'll check those out today. 
Well, Walt, thank you so much for being on the God Solution Show today. I know that this testimony is going to impact countless people and hopefully help Christians approach those that they know with hope and with patience and with love, sharing the hope that we have in Christ with them. Thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, we'll talk to you later. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, it was an incredible interview with Walt Heyer. I hope that you enjoyed it. Again, like he said, our hope is really in Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. All of us deal with issues, and all of us desperately need Jesus to forgive us and to cleanse us and to change us. Every one of us has to say no to all the things that have kept us from him in the past and come to him in humility, like Walt talked about today. If you haven't done that, I would ask you to do that this morning, to put your faith and trust in Jesus, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins. I put my faith and my trust in you. Thank you for rising again to give me new life. Please come into my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. I pray that you'll put your faith in him if you haven't already. I hope that you'll share this with your friends and family. Again, you can get this MP3 and all of our shows at godsolutionshow.com. That's godsolutionshow.com. And keep tuning in. Next week, we'll be talking to Brady Cohn about his journey away from homosexuality. Thanks so much for listening. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. I hope that you'll come to him if you haven't already, and if you do know Jesus, I pray that you'll walk closer to him than ever before and share the hope that you have with those around you. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful afternoon.